Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hello, welcome to Jules says. I'm Jules, Julie. I'm back at work this week and thankfully working 100% remotely. Oh, I wasn't so lucky when we first moved to Toronto. I was commuting every week, sometimes up to 3 times a week. The company did allow occasional remote work, so back then if I had an audition in Toronto, I would finish my work day, drive to Toronto, work remotely on audition day, take the hour or so I needed for the audition, finish my work day, then drive back to Sarnia. A few times I would arrive home to a message to come back the next day, so I would just get in my car and drive back. I also came home every weekend. We had rented a shabby little basement apartment two doors down from our house, so Abe had a warm place to eat, sleep, and shower while the house was torn down to the masonry and rebuilt. I would come home Friday night after work. Weekends were spent doing laundry at a laundromat. Obviously, we didn't have ensuite laundry in that basement apartment. I'd prepare meals for the week so Abe could pop them in the microwave and not interrupt his 12-hour-plus days too much while I was gone. And I did help where I could with some of the renovation work. Then back to Sarnia on Sunday night. For a few months, I had to head back early for Sunday afternoon rehearsals for a play I was in. I played Vera in a show called Stepping Out at the Imperial Theatre in Sarnia. The point is, I did a lot of driving, and I figured it didn't really make sense for me to be doing all that driving in a Toyota Camry, which was, after all, a family mobile. After poring over what felt like hundreds of reliability reviews, I had bought her used not long after my divorce, and I loved that car. Not for her beauty, I'll take solid and reliable over pretty any time. Her body and interior were practical, bland, beige. I just loved that the car was so reliable. Once as I approached my Camry in a parking lot, an older man, smallish, bespectacled and sweet, was inspecting her. Was he admiring her? It seemed unlikely. He smiled as I approached. You have the same car as I do. 
(laughs) Sure enough, there was my Camry's twin sister parked beside her, beige color and all. Yes, I smiled back. I guess that makes us twins. His eyes twinkled as he laughed, and off he went. After that, I started referring to her as my old man-mobile. As much as I loved that Camry, though, it just really wasn't practical with all the driving I was doing. It was near the end of 2007. Gas, or petrol, prices were rising. And rising oil prices were in the news, so we knew they were even going to go up higher. And both the Canadian and Ontario governments were offering incentives to buy energy-efficient vehicles. Not only that, car manufacturers were offering low or no-interest loans for new cars. So after months of poring over hybrid vehicle reviews, in January 2008, I bit the bullet and bought my very first new car, a 2007 Honda Civic Hybrid. Now, this hybrid isn't a plug-in like you see on hybrid cars today. The electric motor's purpose is to assist with acceleration, and it shuts off when you stop if conditions are perfect, so the engine isn't idling. But it doesn't plug in. The battery recharges using the energy generated when you slow down and brake. The more modern plug-in hybrids also use that energy, but then you can also charge the motor. So they can drive on either the motor or the engine alone, though they are designed to share the power as needed and prioritize using electric power. But with the modern ones, if you completely run out of gas or a battery charge, you can still drive for a bit, depending on all kinds of variables. You could probably get to a gas station. But it's different hybrid technology than my car. The first year I had it, I put, well, from January to December 2008, I put over 55,000 kilometers on that car. So I was driving a lot, which meant that I saved at least a couple of hundred dollars a month in fuel. So it was a really good decision for me at the time. And by mid-2008, well, I bought the car in January, so by June, gas prices were $1.30 a liter or around there, sometimes more in our region. And I had no reason to believe that oil and gas prices would not continue to climb. I'm not a futures expert, I don't know whether the experts were predicting that oil prices would plummet and that gas prices would level out, but I think I don't think uh, I, I don't think a lot of us really realized that prices would stay so low for as long as they did. So we were kind of getting off easy on energy costs for over ten years until recently, of course. And in North America, we still pay much less for gas than people in the UK or Europe and probably a lot of other countries. I get that the war in Ukraine had something to do with this, but there are a couple of things that I do have a hard time understanding about the increase in the retail gas prices. Because when, first of all, why is it so expensive? When oil hit over $140 a barrel in 2008, Gas prices in my region were about $1.30 a liter, maybe a little more. But now that oil is bouncing around the $100 a barrel price, why are gas prices around $2 a liter? 
I realize other refining costs might be higher, and I know that price per barrel of oil isn't the only factor, but this seems kind of like bullshit to me, especially because oil company profits are sky high. Can they not cut consumers a little bit of slack? Is the government responsible for their obscene profits? Is this why we're mad at them? Is this why people blame Biden in the U.S., Trudeau in Canada, and probably your prime minister or president, too? But, I mean, this is a global issue. It's not just your country or your government doing this. I I don't understand why everybody blames the head of state. Are they responsible for the oil company's obscene profits? I mean, we want a free market, don't we? If we want a free market and prices go sky high, can we really blame them when we don't want regulations? Don't get me wrong. I am definitely in favor of capitalism, innovation, and a free market to a point. I like money and I want to make good money. I want to have enough money to do the things I want to do and pay my bills. And I completely understand that investors and people who start and run companies are taking a financial risk. And they very often have to work, work, work. It feels like 24-7 sometimes for very little return. I get that, especially in the small business world. And I believe initiative and risk need the potential for financial reward or people won't take that risk. But I also believe surely it's possible to make a profit ethically by treating employees and your communities with respect and by not gouging customers just because you can. And of course, we don't want government to get in the way of business with cumbersome regulations and legislation. But one of the reasons we have regulations and legislation is because people cheat. If everyone treated everyone else fairly, We might not need all those regulations. So we need safety regulations. We need human rights regulations, financial reporting regulations. But then all the rules get ugly and cumbersome and they slow down progress because we're not good at overseeing and enforcing the rules. Government is inefficient. Politicians are then financially motivated to look the other way or deregulate so companies get away with focusing only on making a profit at the expense of everything else. No wonder nobody trusts anyone. I just think it's too much. Maybe the shareholder theory has gone too far. Should financial return on investments be the only corporate responsibility? I know corporations claim to be responsible to the communities and ethical and treat their employees well, but very often that's just PR and lip service. I get the impression anyway. But companies and the people who own them and run them live in communities. They use the roads, schools, hospitals, infrastructure, and all the public services. I sometimes wonder about fines and the cost of cleanup after environmental disasters. Is it less expensive to just let shit happen and then clean up the mess and pay the fine than it would be to prevent the disaster in the first place? I don't know. I I have to, uh, I mean, every business decision is a risk-benefit analysis, but maybe the risk-benefit analysis should be based on a lot more than just financial risk. Is it cheaper to just 
pay off uh, a harassment victim and get them to sign a non-disclosure than it is to fire a highly paid CEO who has probably a lucrative termination clause. I get that sometimes companies need to restructure and lay off employees, but after they've been bailed out, it just feels as though it's worse. And I don't necessarily trust that they lay off thousands of employees for long-term efficiency and profitability. I think very often they're doing it just for short-term financial gain. Or, I mean, having been in a company that laid off all the time, it just seemed like more and more and more work got piled on the people who were left. How well can that really work over the long term? Are the boards of directors only responsible to the shareholders short term? Don't they care about the future shareholders or the long-term viability of the business? I don't know. I'm not an MBA. I'm not an economist. And I realize these questions are very complicated. But again, because we can't trust people to do things ethically, we're always wondering. Maybe people were foolish to ever trust them and we're just getting smarter. I don't know. Then there's the argument that we won't transition to clean energy until fossil fuel energy is too expensive. But unfortunately, the lowest income people are the ones who suffer the most. They can't afford to buy electric vehicles or solar panels or upgrade their insulation, windows, and heating systems. So what are they going to do? They have no choice but to just keep paying and paying as the cost of heating and driving and everything else keeps going up. And if they can't afford to pay, what are they going to do? I've heard stories about people who just won't turn on the heat. They pile on winter clothes indoors or they ride the buses just to keep warm. That's pretty sad in wealthy Western societies when people have to do that. And the price of fuel affects everything. One graph I was looking at showed that 64% of the increase in food prices is due to fuel costs. It's getting so hard for so many people, and winter, of course, is going to make it even more difficult. So yeah, I wonder about the long-term game plan for oil companies. They seem to be investing more in share buybacks and shareholder dividends than capital investments for future improvements. I don't know. Maybe they're smart. Maybe they're shoring up profits and reducing capital spending in anticipation of future transition to clean energy. It just seems to me that maybe corporate profits and CEO compensation have gotten a little too obscene. So maybe we shouldn't blame the government entirely for inflation and social unrest. Or the human beings who want to be paid well to do a job. Anyway... I'm just grateful that I live in a place where I hardly need to drive, and I'm still driving that 2007 hybrid, and when we did the home renovation, we installed ridiculously efficient in-floor radiant heating and really high-quality insulation. And when my Civic has reached her end of days, we aren't sure we'll even bother owning a car again at all. We'll see. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm lucky because I live in a very walkable neighborhood. I don't like going for a walk to nowhere, so walking is my primary means of transportation. Now, there are challenges with poverty in my neighborhood, so I like to keep a couple of $5 bills in my pocket to hand out to people on the street. There are a lot of people asking. I never have enough for everyone. I don't know whether they're homeless or whether asking for money is their job. I don't know. Most of them are very respectful, though. If you give them money, they thank you profusely, especially if you hand them a bill as opposed to coin. A five is the smallest denomination we have in Canada. Our ones and twos are coins now, so sometimes I have that. And if you walk by and give them nothing, they usually say nothing, or maybe they just say God bless or have a nice day. Sometimes I give people food if I don't have cash. Sometimes they accept it. Sometimes they don't. There's one guy who walks around Bloor Street who will approach and ask you to buy him some lunch. And then you just he just tells you what he wants from this restaurant. You go in and get it for him. Once I offered someone my cut-up raw sweet potatoes. That's what I happened to have in a container in my hand, and he told me to fuck off. I guess he wasn't that hungry. I love raw sweet potatoes. Delicious. Years ago, when Joanne was on a class trip to Toronto, she bought a man on the street a submarine sandwich, then sat down with him, and they both ate together. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. I'm still careful. After all, we don't know what they're like or what they're on or what might suddenly set them off. I've learned to be aware of my surroundings and wary of all men when I'm in public, even the naked guy lying on the sidewalk in front of the documentary theater. You just learn that you have to be, even though most of them are fine. There used to be one guy in the neighborhood who wore a sandwich sign. It has straps that you wear over your shoulder and then a sign on the front and back. And it said something like, all donations appreciated, as he went around picking up garbage. I would chase that guy down to give him money when I had it because he's doing an actual job that needs to be done. Same with a young lady who used to busk in front of the local liquor store just doing her job, entertaining the people. And if you didn't have money and you happened to be going into the liquor store to get something with your credit card, she was happy to accept a beer on a hot day in lieu of cash. The poor thing, though, had very fair skin and auburn hair, and 
My God, I used to look at that sunburn and think, geez, I just need to bring her some sunscreen, and then I would forget. I haven't seen her in a few years, though, so I hope she's okay. I don't appreciate the squeegee kids who approach your car at a red light, though. I feel a lot more comfortable with a general service, like the garbage or the busking, as opposed to a specific thing done for me. The obligation feels bigger, and I didn't ask for the service, so I find that off-putting. Then I feel like the asshole if I don't have any money to give them. There's one young woman who used to stand at the corner of Bloor and Bathurst calling out, Pregnant and hungry, have a nice day. Pregnant and hungry, have a nice day. Oh my God, all I could think of was, if she really is expecting a baby, how the hell is she going to look after it? scary. There's another older woman on that same corner, and her legs were, well, she had legs. She had upper thighs only and was in a wheelchair. She would be out there in the freezing cold. I mean, ugh, it must feel so much colder when you're not briskly walking. I don't care how many layers and coats you're wearing. If you're sitting in a wheelchair, That has to be extra freezing. I always tried to make sure I had at least a 20 for her. As I handed one young woman a five recently, a man approached from behind. You know she's probably going to spend that on meth, he said to me. Well, that's her decision. She was somebody's baby, and everyone has a story. Hopefully she finds help at some point and gets out of this before it's too late. As we walked along, he told me about his own meth addiction, how he lost his wife, his children, his job, his home, how it took him several attempts to finally get clean and stay clean, how many of his buddies died, how he's now rebuilding his relationship with his grown children. You know, you could say that I'm enabling people by giving them money, but am I really... Do we really understand the cause of that level of joblessness or homelessness? How, how does this happen to people? Is it usually due to addiction? I don't know. Each and every one of those people was someone's baby, and everyone has a story. I have no idea what happened to them to land them in this situation. And I would think once you're homeless, even without an addiction problem, it has to be really hard to change that situation. Where do you even go to have a shower? The victim of the testicle murderer was once a teacher. If you don't know about the testicle murderer, listen to Catherine Ryan's podcast episode called The Testicle Murderer. Carrie had a pick of the victim on his last day alive with his killer and had to testify in court. I will leave it to you to listen to the details properly on Telling Everybody Everything, But yeah, how did a teacher end up homeless, then dead? There's a men's shelter a short walk from us, and I remember the brouhaha at the public meetings when the city was getting feedback before approval. We live near a few large parks with playgrounds. We are aware that at night, some of those saucy little teens looking for a good time hang out there boozing it up and God knows what else. They're harmless. The greater risk, of course, is the adults who have nowhere to go. 
And I think that's a risk to the teens hanging around the park at night, too. I feel very safe in my neighborhood, but I would not walk through that park alone late at night. People are more likely to pose a threat if they're high, I think, and especially if they're hopeless. We see the problem every day, and a lot of people were opposed to that men's shelter. Abe and I, however, were in favor of the shelter. They provide overnight accommodation for 30 men. It's fully integrated with the drop-in food access program. And they provide comprehensive services and support in programs like the Tenets of Life Management, Health and Wellness, Income Security, Counseling and Addiction Services. They have drop-in services during the day, even for the guys who aren't overnighters, with accessible showers and washrooms. Isn't that preferable to just letting them wander the streets with zero help? Plus, there's a cafe there that gives youth an opportunity to learn hands-on restaurant skills to improve their employability, and they also provide meals to people in need. Win-win. Anecdotally, and I haven't seen any studies to prove or disprove the numbers, but it seems to me that I see fewer men on the streets than I did before the shelter opened and expanded its services. There's also a women's drop-in center a couple of blocks west of us. They don't have overnight beds. Uh, Maybe they should, but they don't. But they do offer a place to eat, rest, shower, and get clothing and bedding. I mean, at least it's something. Every little bit helps, I guess. People say it won't solve the problem, and they're right. None of these solutions will solve 100% of a problem, but if it helps even a few people get back on their feet, then I think it's worth it. But the thing is, not everyone wants or thinks they need help. The other day as I was about to walk into a shop, I could hear some guy yelling, Shut the fuck up, you fucking bitch! Which, honestly, I didn't give a second thought. This isn't uncommon in my area, and I never feel threatened. But suddenly, yelling, he accosted me as I was about to go into the shop. Shut the fuck up, you fucking bitch! You fucking faggot! My first thought was, dude, faggot? Really? And I wasn't even saying anything. My back was against the door, and he was right in my face. But then he kicked my old lady cart. So you talk about fight, flight, or freeze. I just froze. I just stared at him, making full eye contact. Calmly, wordless. Then he ran off. I wonder if he thought I was someone else. I have to admit, though, that incident kind of unnerved me. I told Abe about it later, and his first response was, that guy's lucky I wasn't there. (laughs) He probably wouldn't have done that if you were there, because Abe walks through the world without giving a second thought to whether or not he's safe. When Joanne and Richard were visiting in the summer, we went to Ripley's Aquarium. Mask mandates have long been lifted in Ontario, but I still wear one sometimes on transit and in crowded public places if there's a low ceiling or I look around and feel like the ventilation could be dodgy. I really don't mind wearing a mask at all. And when I first moved to Toronto, I used to think it was strange to see people wearing masks on public transit. But I also got more colds after I moved to Toronto and started taking transit downtown. 
I try not to touch anything. I make a point of washing my hands as soon as I get home or to the office, but I still got a lot more colds. Maybe it was from breathing in everyone's bad breath. I mean, the subway was often jammed with crowds. My face was very often smushed up against someone's armpit. So maybe the mask wearers were right all along. I don't know. I see no harm in wearing a mask on public transit, so I do. And the bonus is, it does reduce the intensity of the noxious fumes, bad breath, and B.O. So that's a treat. Anyway, I was wearing a mask in the underground low area of the aquarium. I wasn't the only one. I would say maybe 20% of people were also wearing masks. There were quite a few. And there are a lot of elderly people with their families. You know, the aquarium is a family thing. As I stood back to allow little ones, including Richard and Joanne, to get a closer look at one of the displays, a man approached me. Masks don't work, he said. Well, I don't mind wearing one in case it helps. You're breathing in your own germs from your own mouth, he persisted. True, but hopefully that means I'm sparing others from at least some of my mouth germs. You're not getting enough oxygen. Well, I said to him, I'm sure if you ever have surgery, you inform the OR staff to not bother wearing their masks. You don't want them passing out in the OR due to lack of oxygen. I would never get surgery. Then he started a rant about Big Pharma, and yes, I agree that Big Pharma is problematic, as are oil companies, as are governments, and investments in research are primarily only made if there's a likelihood of huge profit, blah, 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 blah. But if I have cancer... I want a surgeon to cut it out of my body, and I don't want to engage with strangers in confrontations, so I probably should have pretended that I couldn't hear him. But, ugh, I don't care if people agree with me, and I don't expect them to change their minds. So at this point, I just said something like, well, thank you for informing me of my ignorance. I appreciate your perspective. But that still didn't shut him up. Sometimes I mistakenly hope that just being nice will make people lose interest and walk away. And I stayed where I was because I didn't want to lose sight of Joanne, and it was crowded. And then, stupid me, I said, look, I know masks are not perfect, but if there's a chance that wearing one will mitigate the risk of someone else getting sick, even a little, then there's no risk in me wearing the mask. Why do I bother At about this point, Joanne approached and could hear the nature of the conversation. Hats off to Joanne. She was a little more direct. Shut up and mind your own business, she said. And we walked on. Sometimes I feel as though I'm wearing a sign that says, Criticize me, criticize me. Why did that guy approach me? Why did he not approach any of the young six-foot men who were wearing a mask? (sighs) One of the curses of looking like someone who's vulnerable. Don't get me wrong, I really don't want to hurt anyone. But there are moments in my life when I really, really wished I had the secret strength of a six-foot-tall, muscular man. I would surprise some of these assholes, maybe just... Not really hurt them. Maybe just 
shove them against the wall by their jaw with one hand and tell them to back off in a way they understood. That would be so cool. Maybe then they'd think twice about approaching women with their bullshit. Also, I would be able to carry way heavier things and I could open jars. I would really like that. My God, I'm getting too serious, aren't I? Thank you for listening. If there's anything you'd like to ask or share, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. And please share, like, review. Maybe share with your nan or some of the other ladies you know who are my age. Most of them don't listen to podcasts, and they might enjoy it while they're driving or doing some housework. That's when I listen to podcasts. Have a wonderful week.